On today's episode, we talk about politics. I know, sounds boring, but we're gonna be joined with somebody who is really amazing at this stuff. She's gonna talk about how we get bills passed that are pro-housing versus bills that get passed that would hurt housing. Lots of details, it's gonna be very interesting, very educational. Let's get started. You talk about it privately, we talk about it publicly. This is the Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered Podcast. Welcome back to Real Estate Insiders Unfiltered. I'm your host, James Twiggins, along with my co-host, Keith Robinson, a.k.a. Crazy Uncle Keith. Yes. Where's the sound for the explosion of the We need the a sound name? there, like, yeah, like a bomb going on. Anyway, we'll work on that. Yeah, all right. So Who today we're joined by Shannon McGann, the Chief Advocacy Officer for the National Association of Realtors. Keith, tell us all about what she's been doing and what she's going to talk about. Uh, she's awesome, first of all. She's been in politics since she was a kid uh we're gonna touch on what it's like growing up in a pizza parlor because eh, that's awesome square slices square well. sli yeah yeah stay tuned uh whether or not it's really like house of cards spoiler alert <laughs> it's not and really all that nar does to support the industry so bunch of interesting content in there and can't wait for you guys to check it out all right, Shannon, thanks so much for being on the show with us today. I know I am super excited to have you here because Keith is tired of listening to me talk about politics. And oh boy, yes, sir. It's an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're excited to have you here because of your background. Um, and certainly, you know, we have a lot of questions we'd love to ask and, and share with the, the listeners about all the things that go on in, uh, you know, in the role of chief advocacy officer. But before we get into that, um, we start this with all of our guests. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, but not the bio that everyone can read online. Yeah, nothing boring. Uh, yeah, that's don't we don't want to make it boring. Like, tell us, uh, you know, what makes Shannon Shannon. Tell us about your background, et cetera, that the that the listeners don't know. Even something that you that people don't know about you on the internet. So those are the best. Oh well, I spend a lot of time scrubbing the internet to make sure that stuff's <laughs> not out there. But I well appreciate the opportunity well to. Uh, uh, share it with you all today. Uh, first, thank you very much for having me uh, join you. This is a very exciting conversation. I can talk politics all day, all week, all month. So anytime you guys get sick of it, just give me a holler. I won't, trust me. Yeah, um, I'll yeah. go on mute. Yes, I'm Shannon McGann, Chief Advocacy Officer for the National Association of Realtors. And that is an important part of what I do and who I am, but it's not all who I am. Uh, uh, to give the, the cute answer, I'm a very happy mom and, and wife, but what makes me tick day in and day out is that I get to wake up every morning and work on issues and changing hearts and minds and working on things that people care about. And yes, I have been doing that since I was a small child. You can ask my parents, it was really annoying and have just always been the kind of person who likes to see, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? And maybe we can do something about it. So it was um, great to get into uh, public service, get into politics, campaigns, and then now in the advocacy world. And that really is what makes me tick. So you have you said you have kids. I have to start, I have a I have a I have a two basically a two year old now. So uh, I've learned to be a father. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, you have ki two kids, I believe. I think is what I read. Yeah, two boys and uh, the terrible twos are nothing compared to three. Just, just... <laughs> Everybody keeps yeah. telling me that. Oh, by the and then way, I've got a prenager, so stay ready. It, it they're uh, all hard. Every I've got it's a worth it. Too. And, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. See, you I know. didn't know the eye rolls could like be that dramatic. Seriously, it's, seriously, it's pretty impressive. You can so, hear them eye roll. 
that's how so hard they are. You got into politics really early, yes. I think I was you. I think you met. Was it your governor? I think, or was the senator that first got you excited? I think it was John Kasich, if I remember. Sure, sure. Yeah. He ended up becoming governor. He ran for uh, president a couple of times as well. But I did some volunteer work for him in high school. But I was also involved in middle school a little bit, and just um, really a news junkie. Uh, growing up, my parents had a pizza place, and so I was uh, sitting in a pizza shop after school until about. 10 o'clock at night and you just put CNN on and that's uh, a great way. Jeopardy and CNN. Those were the, uh, the shows that we were watching all the time. <laughs> well, so. You buried the lead. Can we talk about pizza for 20 or 30 minutes? Cause I'm about that. Yeah. That is, part, that is a huge part of what makes me tick as well. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yes. Have you ever been to Columbus, Ohio? Yes. I, we have actually, we, uh, we have a, one of our operations is there ironically. So oh, yeah. Well. I'll send you some pizza places, but my dad um, owned a place called Leonardo's Pizza. One was in Grandview Heights and the other out in Lincoln Village. What? And uh, phenomenal pizza. He's now 85, retired from that business. But uh, then he worked at a place called Dante's Pizza, which is where I worked growing up. And it's a different style of pizza than what most folks are used to. Very thin crust, um, focus on the toppings, cut into small squares mm. so it's easier to hold, and it's phenomenal. And I would really like to start a chain so we could, uh, you know, something about the franchise. We're we do. Yeah. There's a little bit <laughs> yeah. of history in franchising, but you know, we'll uh, the food industry is, I think, a little bit, a little bit of an interesting space. Square pizza. I don't. I'm, I have to. I'd square have to try cut. That. It's not square a cut. Square, yeah. Square okay. Cut. okay. Easier to hold. Got it. Yeah. Well, so I want to go a little deeper here because um, you, when we talk about how'd you get into politics, um, I was looking at your your background online. You've had a lot of positions um, over the years doing a lot of very interesting stuff. Two of them really stuck out for me. So um, you were the staff director for the House Financial Services Committee and then the counselor to the United States Treasury Secretary. Those are Whoa. big roles. Those sound so important. what the hell was that like? Like, give us, you know, some details. Like, is there, I mean... Yeah. Was it basically just like House of Cards or not at all? <laughs> <laughs> well, in politics, we're really good about creating um, titles and positions that sound uh, like they're, they're, they're very important. But those actually were important jobs. Yeah. And I uh, was very happy uh, to have both a staff director of the Financial Services Committee. That's a committee that oversees any financial transaction that's happening throughout the economy. Uh, all the things in um, housing and insurance and also with financial institutions and our capital markets. Uh, but um, the real expertise that I had there was that of Capitol Hill because I'd spent, um, gosh, I started on the Hill and the late 1900s, uh, working as an intern and then uh, moved to many different offices. And it sounds like you can't keep a job, but in reality, the Hill is pretty much all one employer. And then you have different offices that will vie for you or that you have the opportunity uh, to move to if there is a change in leadership or who's controlling the gavel. So those positions were absolutely fantastic because the team I worked for, uh, was phenomenal and we're all still working in DC. Uh, went over to the Treasury Department at the beginning of the administration to help the secretary get situated. And that ended up turning into uh, uh, working on the Tax Cut and Jobs Act and doing the public sell, uh, working with organizations to um, get them involved in uh, what uh, was in TCJA and how to roll it out to the public. And when that was done, I went back to the Hill and then um, had the opportunity to join NAR back in uh, late 2018, which was great timing considering that my uh, boss at the time was retiring. So it uh, worked out very well. And Keith, to answer your question, yes. um, it is very much like House of Cards in some ways, but <laughs> mostly not at all. Uh, if you are looking it's for like minus the murder part, so, right? So yeah. a little less murder, 
But um, I will put the the opening song on if I'm like Ubering home at night yes. and you're driving by the monuments and that yes. that is pretty cool. Um, but if you're looking for political shows based upon their accuracy, I would much rather you watch Veep than House of Cards. Oh. Interesting. Okay. okay. All, right. All right. So you've been doing this a long time. Obviously, you have a love for it to be able to to deal with that. And I think, you know, the average American, I consider myself that we get all of our politics from the nonsense we read on the news anymore these days. Um <laughs> But, you know, you're in a you're in an interesting role and we'll segue to why the reason you're here, obviously. So, you know, you came into NARA as the chief advocacy officer. So what what is that? Explain that to us a little bit. I know your your background, you talked about having some some work in housing and in the finance side and everything. So what does that mean? And talk to us about what that role is. So I think the average person and the average listener here really probably doesn't understand what that what what the political advocacy arm is and then how it, it shapes housing right so go deep on that for us sure sure or you watch house of cards and then i don't even want to know what you think a lobbyist does that's right fair yes fair uh, it's not that uh but actually that the term lobbyist um started um uh, many many years ago i could think over 100 years ago based upon uh the act at the time would be to go to the lobby of some of the downtown hotels where Mm -hmm. members of congress were having a nice steak dinner and some um, some adult beverages, and then hang out there in hopes to gather information based on what were those conversations at dinner, what's going to happen. Those were like the the smoke-filled rooms um, of the day. We could have named our pod the real estate on. lobbyist. That would have been <laughs> awesome. The hanging out in the yeah. lobby, there's still a lot of, um, of high caloric meals and <laughs> some adult beverages, but most of what the advocacy world is has changed completely from those days and is now um, much more focused on a comprehensive approach of how do you gather the right information to create the right policy and then sell it to the right audience using all the tools that you have available. And that's what the holistic chief advocacy officer position does uh, with NAR. Uh, it used to be chief lobbyist. I replaced a gentleman named Jerry Giovanello, who had been uh, with NAR for many decades and was um, a fantastic and very well known on the Hill and hitting uh, retirement. So uh, it was great to have him to uh, uh, set up such an amazing operation. And then another gentleman named Bill Malkasian, who was basically running the, the, the DC side of the office with all of our advocacy programs, which includes policy, um, grassroots, uh, any of our community outreach programs, and all of our political programs, which are um, quite a massive endeavor. Uh, he retired at the end of 2020, and so I took over um, all of that portfolio as well. So it's the lobbying, the government affairs side, in addition to developing the policy, working on the um, on the political activities, and how do we engage our membership, and more importantly, how do we make sure that those who understand our issues and are supportive are reelected or elected into Congress, and then how do we also take that message out to all of our state and local associations and make sure they have the resources that they need at at their level as well. So can I break that down to like super James Lehman's terms? So I want to make sure I'm understanding this. So uh, let's go deep here. So if you have, if we're trying to advance a bill or or change something from a housing policy, how does that work? Are you finding a, a congressman or senator that will sponsor that? Like, is that basically how that process starts? And then you move it, you create, you help outline the bill. Are we directly involved in shaping that bill and then putting that forward? Like, give us a little bit of background for the members to understand that. 
Sure. Well, um, the the technical responses it all depends on the issue, but I'll give oh, an it's example. Just like real estate, that's what we yeah. say all the time. Exactly, right. it yeah. all depends. Um, and uh, one example is during the pandemic when we had our um, at that point we were at one point four, almost one point five million members. Uh, it was obviously a very scary time. Uh, there were things like a uh, um, declaration of emergency uh, or essential services and how is it that every single state is going to make real estate essential mm -hmm. well that was also coming from the department of homeland security who was determining what recommendation they would give state by state and then county by county uh, but one of the big ones that we were facing was access to remote online notary and the fact that technology had um, caught up to the ability to do all of this remotely without having to be in in the office but there was a patchwork of different laws and some states would allow it and some wouldn't. So we go to Congress and say, hey, uh, we have this idea. This is a way that you could do it in one fell swoop during the pandemic. And we get um, Republican and Democratic co-sponsors. Just as importantly, we get House and Senate co-sponsors because they don't always play well together and um, get it through committee process, get it into must pass pieces of legislation, and then that legislation fails. And then we do it all over again the next year, and then that legislation just doesn't make it over the finish line. Uh, because typically what's, what's happened over the last few Congresses is that things are in massive pieces of legislation and not just like, hey, here's a great idea. Uh, remember Schoolhouse Rock and I'm just a bill. It is, it is not Right, like that. that's, the, that's the controversy I think that that everyone's talking about is it's the 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 thing that we want isn't a bill filled with a bunch of other like I think call it pork or whatever it is like some of the pork spending things are in the mm -hmm. bill that people then can't vote on so then the thing fails is that is that exactly accurate it. okay but then so, it's you want the risk of putting it on that piece of legislation because uh, a must pass piece of legislation will actually get that floor time whereas others won't and so you're right. really fighting for um to put it in real estate terms you're fighting for that real estate that is that that floor time in the house of representatives or in the senate especially in the senate uh where there's just not as much activity so to go back to remote online notary, has it been signed into law yet? No. Are we getting closer than ever? Absolutely. And so we just had, um, it just passed the House um, uh, just last month. But this is an area where if it doesn't have a, a quick solution federally, that we go state by state by state and work with all of our associations to make sure that they have the ability to do this. And there have been a couple of holdouts, but overall, it has not been a problem. We still need that federal solution to make it happen. But, um, but uh, so how do you do that? Like, I mean, how do you get somebody to vote for something like this? I mean, is it, so let's talk about that. Is there, is it the, is it that we have a very large association and if you're not supportive of this, we're going to put that, that network against removing you from your office. Is that, I mean, I'm simplifying, but Ooh, is that part spicy. of the discussion? I like that. Uh, no, it, it's much more of a uh, building up the the trust and understanding that we are the the strongest resource for the best information for them to have. And so that when we are asking for something to happen, it's not because we're just looking for a win or we just think that this is low hanging fruit, but it really does matter to um, our realtor members and, and more importantly to their consumers and to the entire industry that they're representing. Uh, so when that happens, we have first we are all um, um, sophisticated in understanding how Capitol Hill works and that there are a lot of great members of Congress and great issues and they don't happen. And it's because politics is the art of the possible. It's not the art of what you can get done right now. And we will we do have members who would have concerns and then we work to address those concerns and also understanding that 
It's designed to move very slowly. Um, massive pieces of legislation typically don't happen unless there is a major crisis. And we had many asks as part of uh, the pandemic response that we did get and uh, that we did get support for. But we also, we have kids, you know, we talked about this. If you have a picky eater, um, I am mom to one of those. <laughs> Me too. Um, they say well, that you need mom. to give the kid weird. food, like, like try this food maybe like eight to 15 times before they're actually going to try it. And like, that's what Congress is like. You have to like <laughs> consistently say, hey, remember last Congress when that bill had 40 co-sponsors and now it has 120 co-sponsors. And now we think that we can get up to putting it on the suspension calendar, which is what happened with remote online notary. So there we're making advancement. There's movement before progress and progress before success. And we will take progress and that there are particular members who are, um, have concerns or just say, absolutely not, we're not doing this, then we address those. And obviously our, our local associations will know if those are our folks who are um, paying attention to the issues that matter in their district too. Uh, but it, it doesn't um, it doesn't work as quickly, uh, James, as the, you know, our way or the highway approach, but it's um, it's an important process that we do. So, so I think Congress, Congress is picky eaters. I got that. Uh, <laughs> James, do you have <laughs> another layer you want to go on this? Because I have one too, but if you want to go. build out on this. Go, go, go. Yeah. I'm curious actually at a higher level. So out of the weeds a little, as someone who I'm sure you were next to near and touch residential real estate in the various roles that you did, but that's very different than being the voice of residential real estate, right? How, what was that transition like? What was sort of some interesting things that you noticed about the industry that maybe from outside you hadn't seen? Oh, that's a great question. Really good question. Um, well, the first rule of um, moving into any new job or position is first telling yourself that you're never going to do it. And so I've done that for, <laughs> I think every single job that I've had so far, like, oh, I'm never going to do that. Mm -hmm. I'm happy in this job. And then, uh, you know, once the opportunity comes up, you start thinking, I could do this better or I could do it that way. Right. And having the opportunity to go from um, back in the pizza shop days where my parents were um, great providers, one of seven kids, we had uh, moved around a lot. We, uh, I think I went to five different schools by the time I was in sixth grade and it was a great way to make friends and, uh, Cause you uh, not parents really owned a great pizza shop. Yeah. Yeah. We, were, sure. we just moved around a lot and yeah. not because, you know, we were military or a pizza business, but because we were renters mm. and moving and changing schools. I mean, that, that does take its toll on a kid. And it wasn't until my parents were able to save up and buy a home, uh, in a multifamily unit, um, and, we had the same school for the next eight, seven years, and my grades went through the roof and friendships developed and just the sense of community and joining a bunch of organizations and getting involved in, in politics, like, uh, like I mentioned before, all of those things, in my mind, were attached to that mm. homeownership That's and really attached neat. to that sense of this is a more permanent thing. And we still have that home and, and family has lived in that home and it's been, um, it's been a, a good investment. And when given the opportunity to work on these issues on the Hill, um, very much understood the need to have more access to home ownership, especially those first time, first generation home buyers who maybe didn't have grandparents or parents to walk them through the process. Mm -hmm. It's the realtor who is out there selling not just the home, but also here's how you do it. Here's what what needs to happen for this down payment. And oh, by the way, 20 percent, that's what everyone says. You don't need 20 percent that there are there are funds available to you 
through programs like FHA or VA that we have fought for that can help you get a home with that 3% down, it was amazing to me to be able to go out there and be that storyteller and to yeah. connect those dots and to help change those hearts and minds. And that's what we continue to do today. And especially looking out for more audiences. How do we diversify the audiences and make sure that, totally. especially people who have been yeah. unfairly totally. locked out of home ownership for generations, uh, because of discriminatory uh, actions or uh, barriers to to entry into the home ownership market, uh, that we can be there for them, and that's just and it's an incredibly satisfying job, but it's one that takes a lot of work, and we need a, a, a lot of help. Well, to it's get the there. single largest driver of wealth in the country, and so generational wealth. So exactly. obviously, that's a that's a super important piece. I want to go. Um, I want to take this conversation because I think it's 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 really interesting because you're talking about how it's you know, been huge for you and your family. So let me go the other way with this. If we didn't have your group, um, and I, and I'm going to, we're going to get for the listeners, we're going to ask some controversial questions here in a minute, but like, if we didn't have your group, what, what, what would be some of the things that would be the outcome? Can you give like specific examples of where your group was involved to stop something that would have been detrimental to, what we just talked about about providing more you know opportunities for for owning real estate oh well, well absolutely and uh, thank you for mentioning the group because it really is a, a fantastic team we have about 65 folks within the advocacy group um mostly based in dc but we're all over and then we also have every single state and local association sure. as government affairs director so and i want to talk really about that too in a minute like how it works at local state and national but i want to know this specific thing like tell us some examples oh, of if we didn't sure. have your group Give us an example of like, this is a bill that was, that was, you know, put forward. And if it had gone, it would have done this, you know. Oh, I have, a, I, I have a, a, the perfect one for you. So um, back, if you recall, if you want to go back to the campaign, uh, the 2020 campaign back in 2019, uh, then candidate Biden put out a, an op-ed saying, hey, we have um, a lot of these programs that uh, I would like to uh, to run on that we're going to create or we're going to expand. And one of the ways that we're going to pay for that is by cutting or eliminating 1031 like-kind exchange. Um, for those of you in real estate, you know what 1031 is. It's not something that just rolls off the tongue that you would expect that every policymaker is aware of, but it's one that we have been um, following for some time because we understand the wealth creation that's there and that it's not a tax loophole. It's not what they say, it's, it's, it's feature, not a bug. It is there to make sure there's fairness within the tax code that if you're going to sell your property, that you're not paying an, un, an, an unfairly high rate of capital gains just in order to purchase something similar. Totally. So we understood that and we immediately hit the hill before even the election, before anything happened and said, this is something that we need to talk to members of the House Ways and Means and the Senate Finance Committee about to educate them. There's no ask out there. There's nothing on the table right now. But remember, this is this is that the program, it was made permanent as part of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act for a reason. There is a reason why you don't want to tap into that because the juice is not worth the squeeze. It would be uh, punitive in order to do that for communities who need it. And we sent our federal political coordinators out to have these conversations. We had a research team and um, Evan Lydiard, our amazing um, um, tax policy expert. Uh, we put out op-eds and we just did a, a full uh, public issues campaign on the issue. Um, it ended up making it into the president's budget. It ended up making it in as part of um, 
um, plans to um, potentially use it as a pay for in a large must pass piece of legislation. When it got time to mark that bill up, not only was 1031 not in it, it wasn't even mentioned in the markup because on a bipartisan basis, everyone understood that this was such an important program that they weren't going to touch it. And that was just good old fashioned education campaign. It's coming up again. It comes up every year. It's mentioned again in the um, in the president's budget. But it is an example of um, sometimes it's difficult to go out there and um, highlight or celebrate or argue the things that didn't happen. Sure. And it's just as important the things that don't happen as those that do. So I think that's a really good segue to um, this question that I think is important because you know how the world of politics are. If anybody says anything about their candidate, everybody freaks out. So um, <laughs> regardless of who you're uh, regardless of what it yeah. is. So you guys try to be I'm going to use the word purple. Um, you know, in that there's there's obviously we think binary in this country now. So it's basically red or blue and left or right. Um, how do you how do you thread that needle? So and I've heard this before from people where they go, damn NAR, because they supported and gave this candidate, you know, money and, you know, that person voted on this. And I have to remind them, well, I haven't met a politician that's perfect, that I actually like everything that they do. <laughs> like they all do something stupid that we don't like. So t talk about how you thread that needle from both. How do we support candidates? Where does that just go deep on this? So the average person understands how that works. Sure. So, um, um, all right, we say to go deep. I got to make a judgment call here. No. Um, don't so get first, fired. Yes, we don't are... get fired. <laughs> no, <laughs> 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 what show do we have? Let me just... <laughs> Um, so as the we are the largest nonpartisan trade association, and we also have the largest, most bipartisan political action committee where last cycle um, we gave to both Republicans and Democrats at a 50 50 split. Well, that doesn't happen with very many other uh, political action committees out there. And the reason that we are able to uh, work in this um, red meets blue uh, realtor purple world is that we focus on the issues and not the political parties, um, and that we also do not get involved in presidential elections, because that's where you tend to see folks get very um, um, engaged on what could be the partisan lineup between it. But when you're looking individually at races going from city council up to your state government, or um, the example that we use in, in federal, of course, is more um, House and Senate, uh, that those are ones where we work with that member of Congress who has been elected and uh, educate them, work with them to make sure that they're with us on issues. And if they continue to be with us and, and supportive, then that means that the local association will meet with the state association and say, we would like to give our support to this candidate. And then the national association will either agree with it and then determine if that means like top level support or, hey, you know, just a little bit. Um, or if there is a disagreement, then we come together as a family and have that conversation. But we have this thing called the three-way agreement where there is no way that those three associations are going to be at odds mm -hmm. in any political election. And it can get messy. I mean, those conversations can, they're, they're, sure. they're difficult to have, yeah. but that is our strength. And knowing that there's a process there. So if individual members nearly 1.6 million, we're a microcosm of the country. Of course, not everyone in a particular congressional district is going to support that member. Um, 
but they can support the process and understand how to be part of it. And so we're consistently uh, going around the country and educating our membership on not just what that process does, but how their voice can be heard and, and their involvement so that when it does come time to, I really wish we didn't support candidate so-and-so, it's okay, were you part of that process? Was your state or was that state part of it? And did you disagree with the decision they made here or there? And typically when you boil that down, it's really um, those differences are not as um, as as loud and as vocal as you would think you, as you would see in social media and sure. other places. I got you mean social ones. media is not accurate. So <laughs> oh weird. no, no, nonsense. Yeah. yeah, I read it. I don't do it. So uh, you tell me. <laughs> You're but, smart. Right. You're so smart. But I think the other thing that's worth um, recognizing in the purple area is that it is well known and well respected on Capitol Hill because we have the ability, unlike many other organizations, to actually bring the two sides together to talk. So when you're looking at, um, oh, hey, we got HR one, two, three, four, and we would like to see this, who can help get a Republican and a Democratic co-sponsor? We get calls all the time saying you have the best relationships on both sides of the both sides of the aisle and both sides of the Capitol. Can you help us with this? And it's just been an incredible strength that we have and that we'll continue to have uh, because of this amazing process. I've got one quick one. So there's probably some industry folks listening, at least James and I sure hope so. And if, uh, I'll give you my example when I was a practicing real estate agent, like I knew it was important, but I, my life was very full in showing houses and doing all the things that I had to do in my daily life as a real estate professional. So, uh, we'll give you the mic for a minute or two. If, if I want to be involved but I don't know exactly what that means. And I know what it doesn't mean. I don't want to be part of any committee or, you know what I mean? Like I, I got a little bit of time because I understand the importance. How can I support NAR as a practicing real estate professional with a busy life who may not want to run for office or any of those other things, but still want to want to contribute in some way because I understand the importance? Well, we do have a candidate training school if uh, somebody does want to run for office. That's always a <laughs> nice way of encouraging it. Uh, that is a great question. And uh, I'll go right back to that that three-way agreement. And it's first contact your local association and, and let them know that you would like to get involved in political activities and they will connect you. We have a big training conference each year called the Realtor Party Training Conference. And so when you say purple, what we say internally is Realtor Party, that mm. we're not Republican, Democratic, we are realtor party. And uh, we have a, a conference where we help walk all of our association executives and those who are volunteers through all the ways that they can be engaged and just as importantly, how they can help others to become engaged. Uh, and so this is an area where for instance, even just giving to the political action committee, um, the minimum amount is $15. Um, last year, we hit our national participation goal and even even exceeded it. And we had 38% of our 1.6 million members wow. donate to the PAC. Um, 13,000 of them were major investors. Um, it, it just makes a huge difference when you're looking uh, at the political spectrum and other organizations who are in this space and they're all you know, be at a lunch and they're like, oh, we're really excited. We our pack just hit three million dollars. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we raised more than 50 million for our pack at all three levels. And, oh, so you big wallet uh, them at lunch. That's solid. I like that. That's all I got to say. Saying that the money is that. Yeah, it's the people and yeah. that lunch is yeah. not that fancy. You would think it would be, but um, they're never yeah. that fancy. Uh, but it's one of those um, areas where it's not just 
because of the amount of fundraising that you're doing, but it's because of that quality of the membership who is involved mm -hmm. and their ability to also be involved in, in, in their local, state, and the national efforts. Um, there's a $5,000 limit on what you can give to um, a candidate committee. Uh, and so that's um, that has not changed. So now individuals can give. I think it's like $2,800 or something per cycle. Um, so it's not um, that there's as much of the 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 money is is going through it's the numbers of people right. that matter so you said how many people are in your group you said 60 i think the number said 65 or something like that was in your your in the uh, advocacy in the group advocacy in general group. i think we yeah. have a few open positions so yeah she's she's hiring yeah. on the podcast yeah so. i would be great uh, no you would be, be freaking that, awful Keith, i would let's be, be honest terrible. Keith, Keith's whole thing is when he has a disagreement he's like i'd like to do trial by combat out oh, in the parking seriously. lot what do we have so to he do says Shannon, it all the time no yeah. no, no i want to get this like so like that should be a thing like trial <laughs> by combat wasn't all wrong your thoughts go um, but I can have other people. Is it like a proxy can, yes, combat battle? No, for sure. Yeah. See, I like oh, that. Yeah, I like that, that we're workshopping this. You can send your champion in. Yes, for sure. You're down. But they, could, could they be like fun combative episodes? It doesn't have to be like physical I mean, violence. He have likes fun. boxing and I've been on the receiving end of this. It's not fun. There's nothing fun about getting a left hook. So yeah. So you mean like um, charades? Like we would do charades by combat? Yeah, or just like a hold your breath contest or, you know, <laughs> yes, yes. see who can ball walk the fastest. Okay. I, think I mean, if we did put politicians into the UFC ring, I'll bet you'd be the most watched show on television. So Dana White would make a lot of money with that. And I think every American would want to watch as well so i have seen many of them go through dancing with the stars oh, and that's oh god i know it's just no 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 god, so Lee, please producer tell me we can put a cut to that in this somewhere that would be epic seriously we do like um, a celebrity real estate show with like politicians selling their homes and you can see like how like unglamorous their lives are okay we gotta uh, after this we're gonna workshop a few different ideas Shannon. yeah you're we wasting are, your talents sure. on capitol hill <laughs> Um, so Shannon, let me wrap up with this. Um, so I think that, you know, I've been in this industry a long time. People have a lot of opinions, uh, about everything, uh, seems to be Americans in general. Um, you know, what I will say is, and I've, I've had comments, you know, publicly where I'm like, don't agree with this decision by NAR. You know, I've, I haven't agreed with this particular thing, which is fine. That's what we get to do. But I will say is that, I've known enough about, and as Keith kind of mentioned, I do watch some of the politics and just I know enough about it to be dangerous that without your group, there would be massive problems with housing policy in this country. Um, and this profession I know would be, would look very different. Um, and more importantly, I think that, you know, the consumer would have a harder time having access to housing. So, um, you know, for, for me, I'd like to say that, you know, thank you for, for doing this. Um, it's an important, it's an important role. We loved having you here to talk to us a little bit about it. And the goal with this is just to give everybody a little bit of insight on how all this works and know that there's a group of people behind the scenes that are fighting to make sure that we have the ability to, to, to do this great profession. So, you know, from my side, thanks for being on the show today. Keith, do you want to add anything on that? No, I, thanks for what you do and being into hold your breath contest for to see who's right, because I think that's awesome. <laughs> so well, again, thanks I, for being here. Well, I appreciate it. And if there are any questions, comments, or complaints, I tell everyone, like, I'm your political complaint uh, box here. So you can just go send us an email and let Girl, us know. you're crazy. What, you just asked I for I would not do that. Yeah, no, that's a terrible uh, you'd idea. You'd be surprised how many um, items come up that we, we realize that there can be a solution for. So, um, and if we don't hear it directly, don't assume that things come um, uh, through the halls of Congress as, as quickly as you would like. But 
It's definitely not as quickly as in House of Cards. Well, yeah. <laughs> thanks for doing the good work, Shannon. We appreciate it. Seriously, we'll leave all of your contact info in the description. Thanks for being here very much. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. Subscribe now so you never miss an episode.